The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Very, very good morning. Good tidings with all. Yes, good. good very nice segue. <laughs> there you go. Hey, we have Moon Mountain Cab. Yeah. <laughs> uh, happy holidays, everybody. <laughs> Although it's not our holiday show yet. Uh, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Winemakers. I'm John Myers with Brian Casey and Bart Hansen and Reed Griggs. Good morning. Morning. From tidings and. Who else? Stony Hill. Stony Hill. Stony Hill, Sir, John. The, Excellent. The Stony Hill. Stony. I, I like Stony it. Hill. I think Stony Hill could be like the Ohio State, like the Stony Hill. That's legit. I, I mean, like it. Established what year, Reed? Uh, let's see. I think 1948. Yeah. Um, that's when the first Riesling vines were planted. The first release was in the early 1950s. Okay. Best Riesling in California. I mean, I yeah, want to get to the, I want to get to the story of how you ended up there, but let's talk about <laughs> tidings first because that's really why we're here. Okay, cool. for all you listeners, um, Reed was on the show once before. Um, he was on with Cody. Um, it's yeah. been a while, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's been a while. It has been a while. Yeah, and and you brought us barrel samples of some stuff we're going to taste now, and yeah. um, we were talking about the work you were doing at Davis, right? Your yeah. Your remind me what was the paper on? Uh, microbial terroir. Yeah. Wait. Say that again. Micro what? Microbial terroir. Microbial terroir. Okay. So it's this idea that like the the microbes that transform grapes into wine are different in different vineyards, and it's really place that determines uh, the constellation of microbes that you find on the fruit. I just saw an article in the New York Times about. Being able to scientifically define that microbial difference by terroir. So that Bordeaux, why does it taste like Bordeaux soil, essentially? And then why does Burgundy taste like Burgundy? And it's all in the science of the soil. It's really interesting. Yeah, fascinating. Well, that must have been really interesting paper to write. Yeah, it was a, it was a huge project. Uh, we published just one of eight chapters that I that I wrote for my thesis um, and yeah so the, the, like the work that had been done uh, prior to my time uh, in actually the lab that I was working in you know they determined that the microbes on fruit that's brought into the winery um, are distinct by region and by variety so different varieties in the same vineyard have different microbes associated with them that's this is something that we know um, in practice right there right. are certain varieties that are more susceptible to pathogens like powdery mildew but on a you know that that extends to the whole microbiome you know as a multi-species um, group you know certain varieties um, tend to have different microbes associated with them yeah. even in the same vineyard yeah. so a uh, lot of my work was focused on trying to parse that like which is more important is it place or is it variety it turns out that the effects are structured hierarchically so place 
uh, is the most important thing, and then variety. Um, and in the, the, the paper that I published was a review paper, and I pulled a lot of data from the larger microbiome literature. And it's really fascinating, like in the greater microbiome literature, uh, geographic location ends up being the, the largest defining factor for yeah. what microbes are, are found where, um, which is, of course, fascinating to us as winemakers, right? right? Um, okay, so non-winemakers that are listening, what, if you had to explain microbes or microbial, what, how would you define that? Yeah, so microbes are microorganisms, and uh, wine can be created by many microorganisms, but uh, there are specific ones that, that you know, th whose results we like. Um, alcoholic fermentation, it, and it's really a, a multi-species uh, succession. It's a, it's a whole ecological process, wine. Um, first... You know, when you crush wine grapes, there are non-Saccharomyces yeast mm -hmm. that proliferate until about um, two degrees of alcohol are produced, and then they die off. And then Saccharomyces cerevisiae takes over and converts all the sugar to ethanol. Um, and after that, we have bacterial processes that happen. Um, Enococcus uh, converts malic acid to lactic acid okay that's ml right yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and then and, and, and so this this is actually happening in nature I, I always bring this up when people say oh like wine is like not a natural process it's it, it it's who it's, says that well well <laughs> it's about as you know, it's a, you can get actually <laughs> yeah it is it really is it's it's truly agriculture because we're bending natural processes to our wills to you know these tastes that we like um because in the fall um you know when there's when there are uh seasonal sugar sources available uh yeasts bloom uh you know in the vineyards in the forests to try to capitalize on those sugar sources right and so what would happen naturally if there were no humans present is you would have this ecological succession um, you know, Saccharomyces eating sugar and then bacteria converting whatever other food is left after that. Um, you know, probably lots of acetic acid bacteria. Right. But so we, you know, as winemakers, uh, manipulate the um, circumstances to select for different microbes that we like. And I mean, grapes want to turn to vinegar, right? Like... Well, I was going to say, if you didn't pick grapes, have, have you ever been out in a vineyard where they didn't pick that year? And like, d does do the grapes start to convert? Because there's yeast out there, right? So do the grapes start to ferment on their own, like on the vine or on the ground? Yeah. And, and the thing about it is, is you can kind of see when, when we talk about um, volatile acidity, right? Um, at the last, you know, when, when the vines start to go down, sometimes you'll get a, a load of grapes in and if you run a va on the juice you'll come into you'll get grapes that have let's call it 0.7 right already coming into the winery mm -hmm. so it's a tricky situation <laughs> it, it, it's a tricky situation because you're already on that downgrade right ideally you'd like it to come in and have the va be at like at 0.2 
and then through the progression of fermentation the va is naturally going to go up but hopefully you come out of the fermentation with it like at 0.4 but if you're starting at 0.7 by the time you get done with it you're at a pretty high number and that's where so that's and that's about farming you know and also about decisions for picking right you know the the year um you know there are many things trust me the i'm sure the vas on the grapes that were coming off the vine just after labor day weekend of last year um had higher vas than they would have coming off at the same time this year just because we had those three days at 116 degrees right so but if but if the vines like let's say the some clusters were left out there and they started to con- convert to alcohol. If like deer or whatever come along and eat them, they would get a little buzz, right? Absolutely. And what's yeah. what's really fascinating is that animals seek out fermented fruit. So the you know the mammalian brain is a, a sensation-seeking organ. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the use of alcohol is not uh, is not confined to humans right other other animals do that yeah just like they really seek out yeah. loco weed <laughs> or mushrooms or right. yeah. yeah interesting okay all right so let's well we got to start somewhere we've already kind of started we got to start somewhere um so read <laughs> tidings Congratulations, your first release. Thank you so much. We tried to do this before the wines were released. And, uh, of course, that was before and during harvest. And you're obviously very busy with your new job, which we'll hear about. Um, But uh, I understand it went well. Well, yeah, Bart. I I saw the email in the morning. And then by the time it was like 11 o'clock or noon, I was like, all right, got to go buy some. It seems like it was like three hours later I went on and it was like sold out. Um, so really? congratulations! Thank you so much. Wow! Yeah, it went. It went <laughs> so I really hit him well. up on Instagram. I was—I don't even know if you knew it was me. Oh yeah, I did. Yeah. Okay, I was like, I Thank was you. like, hey, the calves Can are I gone. get some? And, and he didn't say, oh, I have some. All he, he goes, well, we could share a bottle at some point. And I was like, damn it! <laughs> How much did you make? What was your case? Uh, something around 130 cases. So really, really small. Wow. Um, but yeah, I mean, totally floored by the response. It it, it managed to kind of break yeah, break the website, so I was scrambling yeah. and writing emails. Very gratifying. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's daunting. You put a lot of time into it and years of investment and sitting on it, product, and um, and that's good, you know. Yeah, no, it, it couldn't have come at a better time. You know, it's 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 been quite a few years since I've made some of these wines and. You know, I have a young baby and a big job, and <laughs> there have been times, yeah. you know, and I, I go and do all this, do all the work um, at Bedrock in the evenings after after my day job, do the pump overs and, and those things. And yeah, it's uh, there's been a few moments, uh, this vintage and last vintage, where I was like, what, what am I doing? Like, I, I love the wines I'm making. <laughs> this is great, but am I going to drink all this, you know? So right. uh, yeah, very, very excited. Yeah. Um, so let's get started. What would Great. you like to taste first? Let's start with the 2020 White Hawk here. Thank you. Syrah. So these were the barrel samples. You these were barrel samples, yes. So White Hawk is down Santa Barbara County. Yep. Uh, outside of Los Olivos in Cat Canyon. Um, it's a south-facing hillside uh, of... 
beach sand. The vines are planted on beach sand. It's right. a really wild place. Really? So you say beach sand. I mean, it, when the other place we kind of talk about grown in sand is Evangelo. Right. Uh, same sort of composure or composition? It's like that. It's like walking on the beach, except somehow this is a hillside. Well, that's exactly right, because... <laughs> Because Evangelo, it kind of makes sense. It's it's on the flats. It's next to the river. It's you know, uh, it's either washed down off Mount Diablo or it's come down river from flooding. Right. How did how did this happen? How did you know that's a great question? I need to dive into it further. I think it's an ancient ancient sand dune. Damn it! Next thesis. Well, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, how high? Back to What's the elevation there, Reed? So this, I believe, this is like six hundred feet. Um, it's not not terribly high, but um, that's a lot of ocean to add well, to I mean, so I, I mean, at some point, right, it must have been... It had to. Yeah. The water must have been coming... It is what it is. Right yeah. there. Yeah. So there. How, far, how far inland is this? Can you give us a little more... Uh, so I think it's about five miles inland. It's yeah. it's not far. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's not far. I mean, this is, this is a, a smaller canyon than uh, Santa Maria Valley to the north. Right. Um, and this is... I think because it's south facing and because it's a smaller canyon, it's a hotter site. Okay. Um, Bien Nacido is in Santa Maria Valley, which is this larger east-west valley, and you have kind of a an effect like you see in the we see in the Central Valley here, right, where the the air mass over land heats up during the day and then draws air off the ocean across the vineyard. Right. Um, I don't think that happens quite as much uh, at Whitehawk. Because Bien Nacido, it's a little bit of a rarity, um, at least where we get grapes. Most of the most of the valleys where we get grapes from in California run north south. Yeah, um, and it's not the east west. Anderson Valley has uh, an east west um, feeling to it, although there is a mountain range that and a and a river gorge that probably keeps it a little bit warmer. Right. But but Bien Nacido, when we get to it, I mean that's definitely pulling in cold air for sure. Um, yeah, I think that's one of the ide- identifying uh, geologic features of that area is yeah. these east-west valleys. It's, it is quite unusual in California. And so what drew you to want to make wine from this vineyard? Well, yeah, because you've got connections around here. What, do you, you want to kill yourself by driving down to Santa Barbara and Santa Maria? Like, yeah, or, it's, or was it's it just the Syrah that that was coming off this vineyard that was attractive? So, in, so this year, in 2020, I uh, didn't make... My Cabernet from mm. Moon Ridge. Actually, Corbin didn't didn't pick the fruit. So, I had worked uh, in France at Pierre Gonon, uh doing an internship. Where is that? Uh, in the Northern Rhone. Okay. So they grow Syrah there uh, in Saint Joseph, and had always wanted to make Syrah. And so, a friend and mentor connected me with some of this fruit. Um, and since you know, it's it's just I've realized that. The Central Coast makes very different Syrah than we get up here. You know, it's I think it's the closest analog to the Northern Rhone that we have in California. You just get these, like, prolonged uh, growing seasons, which result in beautifully aromatic wines uh, and phenolic ripeness at low alcohols. And they just, they're just not as weighty as yeah. North Coast Syrah. Yeah. It's very interesting. How much longer is the season average? Uh, I mean, it, it generally we generally pick just when the when the curtains close. It's <laughs> almost there's no more almost year round. Just yeah, climate it's, it's down late there. October picking. Yeah. 
Yeah, because with it being that mild, it's it's not really you're not really pressured to pick. It's no. it, phenolic ripeness is is what pushes along, as opposed to here. Sometimes we have to pick because things have what is it? How is it? Morgan says that we've accumulated too much sugar before <laughs> phenolic ripeness. Right? I mean that definitely happens in warmer climates. Yeah. Yeah. This smells amazing. Yeah, I mean, it, it really does. It, yeah. Yeah, this is like a very distinctive, uh, distinctive wine. It it always, even in, in Morgan's wines and the other ones I've tasted, uh, it always has this kind of candied red fruit and uh, oceanic character, I'll call it, kind of seaweed, nori. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love this one. Yeah. Reed, in your terms, how is this different today than when you poured it out of the barrel samples? Um, it's slightly more mature. It's had a few years of bottle age. Um, and yeah, it's very, very put together, I think, today. I read a quote in, uh, in that same article in the New York Times about terroir that somebody said, it's criminal to drink a wine before it's at least 15 years old. <laughs> it's like, Was okay, that, uh, whatever. Was quote? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a matter, it's a matter of preference. I've been having... A lot of our customers ask uh, when to open these bottles, and yeah. I opened these all this morning at six a.m. and, and double decanted them. Um, really? And they're still—it's still quite tight. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. I like young wine. Being a winemaker, like I like right. tannin, I like all of that uh, tension. Right. And if you grow up here in California too, you tend to have had younger yeah. wines. Well, and I think that's something that winemakers typically that's the majority of the stuff they taste is young right. wines and yeah. so you do get to a point where you're comfortable with it because you know what's going to happen with it right um but it it i mean yeah there's no doubt that a good decanting on most bottles of wine will get you to that you know where you want to be quicker happy place yeah, yeah. And i don't think people decant enough i know i know i never do because i let them sit on my counter for three or four days right and, and do that, <laughs> that sort of decanting but yeah um, i think these will be better tonight and even better tomorrow so i we had a little pickup party for people that um bought wine this weekend and so i got to taste some bottles that had been open for a whole day and they were like really singing so those lucky people who where'd you do the party at in our backyard nice (laughs) come meet the winemaker get these amazing wines yeah yeah i live over in napa we live on vici avenue uh, in coombsville and what i've had I've had wines from this vineyard before. Who else sources out of here? Uh, famously, Sinquinon made this wine okay. for a long time, and then Maggie Harrison is probably the other big name in there. Uh, she makes the Lillian wines, mm. which are really beautiful. Yeah. Where is Sinquinon? Uh, well, what do they call it? I mean, we most people say Paso Robles, but it's really what is the Ventura? Or no, they're in Ventura, in Ventura? the city of Ventura. It's yeah. not really Paso Robles. It's, it's yeah. actually farther south than Santa Barbara, yeah. isn't it? Ventura, or just north of Ventura. I, mm. I have to, I mean, Santa Barbara, I have, I have to look map. on a map. No one's ever been there, John. Yeah, it's not really. <laughs> right. It's a mystery. Yeah. We're, we're not exactly sure. You're not allowed on the property. I like to keep it mysterious. Hey, it's like when I tried to get into Chateau Margaux in 1987, and they said, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're oh, no. Go away. Yeah. Go they visit someone else. They don't have a problem selling their wines. Yeah. So 
or Latash. I, I have friends who are still trying to get into Latash. Yeah. Who live there and who are winemakers, you know, so. Yeah, good luck. Yeah, I, I, um, <laughs> we went on a trip in Burgundy and we went to DRC and asked if we oh, could wow. get in and they wanted nothing to do with us, but we could get into the vineyards, you know, cause they're, as they're all marked and stuff. And we had some pretty funny pictures from that time. I'm sure. Um, awesome. Yeah, it was neat. So. I had a very unusual um, interaction with Joey Benziger the other day. How's Joey doing? So, so <laughs> How's his new project? I, I don't know. He, ha- he just happened to be walking by here. It was the night of the tractor parade. And uh, he asked if this was Phil Couturier's place. And I said yes. And, and then he gave me a message for Phil Couturier that I can't even repeat. I, I know exactly what it was. I mean, and I don't know. I didn't know if, are they not friends? No, no, that, uh, that is a term of endearment okay. from Joey. Yeah. You know, okay. Yeah. It's basically to go F yourself. You pretty much. Right. Yeah. But, yeah. but it, it is, it's not meant with, see, yeah. you've obviously sure not drank enough. Half de- a bottle. Yeah. You just not had enough to, shots of tequila with Joe. Um, <laughs> At the Jack London pub. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Awesome, uh, Reed. That's really beautiful. Um, So maybe while we're talking about the next one, we could um, speak a little bit about, you know, your new job. How did how did that come up? I mean, storied winery, um, fairly new ownership in the past. Has it been five years or so? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Uh, Even less, three years. Okay. Um, so could you talk a little bit about one who owns or the back? Why don't we start with the history of Stony Stony Hill? Yeah, so so Stony Hill was started by Fred and Eleanor McRae. Um, they loved Burgundy, um, and were living in San Francisco, I think, as the story goes, and found this property to kind of live their dream and plant vines and make wine, and um, they, you know, made what they liked to drink and um started a mailing list i think it was the original mailing list in napa valley um and just you know i think originally they sold wine to their friends and then um kind of through word of mouth uh got more customers and uh, famously would would you know have people up and and taste wine on their property with them and and was he the winemaker or had they had winemakers over the years fred mccray was the original winemaker and then mike collini who was there for 47 years uh, started as the vineyard manager in 75 i believe uh, and started working in the winery and fred mccray passed away in 77 uh, and and mike was the winemaker there until uh until it changed ownership yeah okay okay where is it over so we're up on spring mountain uh, surrounded by both East State Park, so it's really this spectacular 160-acre property. Nice. Uh, 40 acres planted to vines. It's really unique in the Napa Valley in that we have a lot of north and east exposures. It's really kind of a, a ridge line. Uh, the property starts at 400 feet, and we have some vineyards. And there's a there's a road that that snakes up the back of the ridge, and there's we have vineyards dotted all the way up to 1,500 feet, and the the house and original winery is uh, right in the middle at 800 feet. So how do you get there from original Highway 29? Oh, you're just hanging left right before Bothy State Park. Yeah. So, Reed, I mean, definitely um, as far as Napa Valley goes, 
and the way you're describing the vineyards being laid out. I mean, a cooler area for, for that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, and that was kind of what their wines were were known as, right? You know, wines of, you know, as we say now, maybe more restraint and um, not as not as Napa Valley as a lot of the wines are now. Certainly. Um, and then with making the Riesling also kind of um, the reason why that was successful is because of probably the place it's grown and, and the I think way so. the vineyards are light, laid out. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So what what's really special about being there is that, you know, I think the the place produces wines that fit with my kind of natural proclivities. Like right. I like understated wines with tension. Right. Um and it produces that easily and is and is known for that. Right. Um and moreover, uh, you know, the the current owners love those kinds of wines right. and you know, that's, that's the mission. You know, we don't, we're not trying to fit anything into a box. We're letting it be what it is. And, um, yeah, what it is, is, is. So gorgeous. how, how did, how did you come into this job? I mean, Great it, question. it almost sounds like they, <laughs> it was written for you and, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a literal dream come true. Um, I think so Carlton McCoy, who's the CEO hired me and, um, we had become friends before, before talking about this, uh, his, partner is Maya Delavalle, who I think you guys have had on the, on the podcast. I worked for Maya and like for a calendar year, uh, 19 and 20. Okay. Um, and so I think she, she may have said some nice things. Yeah. Yeah. Delavalle. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, wonderful people. And, um, yeah, we, you know, yeah, (laughs) gorgeous wines, wonderful people, special property. Um, yeah, yeah, we had we had actually opened one of these wines one night at dinner, and so I think maybe that planted the the okay. seed that you know, aside from the you know experiences that I've had professionally, I, you know, yeah, can 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 do this. Yeah, so. yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's wonderful. I mean, it's uh, you don't hear of many stories like that right these days. Right. Yeah. Um, so. I mean, yeah, it seems like now so many winemaker positions are people that have been placed there by a consultant yep, um, or, um, you know, family or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, those sort of things. But I mean, in the case of this, like, it's like they, they were looking for something and it wasn't the typical and congratulations to you that they found you because they could have just missed you. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. 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 So it's a dream come true. Yeah. Um, well, is it all estate fruit? It is. Yeah. So, the last two years, we made a little bit of, uh, we made a couple wines from other properties that are owned by by Lawrence Wine Estates, um, and that was because we've done a lot of replanting up there. Mm-hmm. Um, so we needed to to make wine. Well, wine what's health getting? Re- sorry, what's getting replanted? Is it different varietals, or it's just uh, replanting stuff that was a little tired? So different varieties. Um, yeah, when the the Lawrence family purchased the property, there was a lot of blocks that were just feral, like hadn't been pruned in many years, and lots of lots of blocks that were fallow also. So had had been a vineyard at one point, but you know, um, the previous owners didn't didn't replant them or couldn't replant them. Or... How do you go about redoing those vineyards? What was the process, and how long did it take? So we've we had a soil scientist from Bordeaux come out and dig, wow. dig probably the first nice. soil pits um, that have ever been dug at Stony Hill. And what's it look like? It's fascinating. Uh, so we have 
a wide array of soil types, as as you might imagine. I think that's a pretty typical story on the North Coast. Uh, but the the at the at the bottom of the property, in the middle of the property, we have um, decomposed shale and sandstone going down as far as we could dig uh, under about two feet of residual topsoil. Um, and then when you get up to the highest reaches of the vineyard, it's volcanic material, much like you would see in eastern Oakville. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those classic red soils that, yeah. that Cabernet does really well on. Right. Um, and the, the Cabernet that was planted by the McCrae's is up there. So okay. the twenty we have some 20-year-old Cabernet. But to answer your question, um, we are planting more, we have planted more red wine grapes, mm-hmm. um, given that hotter and hotter every year um and they make a beautiful wine that is aesthetically in lockstep with what we're known for uh the chardonnays and rieslings just very you know spring mountain understated uh you know my my favorite red wines uh both cabernet and syrah can do this are wines that thread the needle between um the more savory elements and the fruit elements. Uh, and, you know, when you balance those things nicely, they have this emergent property that could only be Cabernet or Syrah. Yeah. <clears throat> and so we're finding that that's really what comes out of Stony Hill. Yeah. Very cool. Well, and how did the Riesling start there? Was it um, just whoever started the property thought that that was a good spot for Riesling or they liked Riesling? or So I... Stony Hill is actually one of the few uh, wineries that I've visited. Um, I visited there in 19 after I finished a, a job in the winter of 19. And the story I heard is that when they were look when the McCrae's were uh, trying to figure out what to plant, they had some people from UC Davis come out and UC Davis recommended Riesling because it could be made in an off dry or semi sweet style. And after world war two, people were used to drinking cocktails and not wine. And so they said, Mm -hmm. Oh, this is what consumers are going to want to drink. So they did plant some Riesling and then planted lots of Chardonnay because that's what they wanted to drink. And and that that goes along with what we've heard in, when you talk about these old plantings is that, you know, Riesling was Riesling was widely planted, you know? And I mean, at Kenwood, the front of that winery, it's got to be 12 or 13 acres. That was all Johannesburg Riesling until the 1990s when they oh, wow. when they pulled it out to put in Merlot, <laughs> right? right. And, they cho- and they chose Merlot because Merlot was hot, and St. Francis had Merlot right down the street, and they thought, if they can do it, we can do it. And wouldn't it be cool if all some of that Riesling was still there? But Yeah, yeah um, shoot. Yeah. Where's the oldest Riesling in this area? At Stony Hill. It's the oldest in the okay. country. <laughs> really? When when was it planted? 1948. Yeah. Um, what about Gunbun? They don't. They, 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 they have I mean, out they there. Have but they may have some Riesling, but it's not that old. Okay. Um, have you never had Stony Hill Riesling before? No. Okay. All right. Oh shoot! I should have should have brought some. That's all. No. Okay. Come on. Um, we're talking about these wines, but yeah. uh, but it's 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 amazing, John. It's one of those ones that sticks out for me. Okay. Um, hey, I've always listened to you, Brian. You've, you've really opened my taste buds, that's for sure. Okay, good. All right, so Bienacito. Um, is this what you just poured? It is, yeah. So this is the also 2020. Also 2020. Yeah. Uh, and this was about a half ton of X-Block and half ton of Z-Block. Yeah. 
So X-Walk is the, I think, the oldest straw in the country, planted on Riesling roots, um, 1973, I believe. And it's on GDC or Pergola. Um, I think it's it's east-facing, so it's a cold, and it's and it's further east in the vineyard. It's, right. it's, a, it's a cold a totally pocket different in a cold vineyard. The Totally yeah, different. wildly different, and these yeah. are you know five miles apart as the crow flies. So very, and that's fascinating it. to think about. It is side simply side. the terroir; everything else is exactly the same. Well, it's two different farmers. I mean, it's it's hard to say that, John. But you know, again, it, I think what you need to focus on is that they speak of their place, mm-hmm. right? I mean, they are that close, so shouldn't they be more? you know, the same if they're only five miles apart, right? But no, actually, they should be totally different because of the way the valleys, as he was speaking earlier, yeah. the way the valleys are set up and the way they're laid out. Oh, it's so, fascinating. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love that science. Yeah, it's it's really fun. And I think it's I think it's uh, illuminating to taste things like this side by side because it's, it's easier to understand what, the, what makes them distinctive when you have a counterpoint. Um, so... Yeah, really fun to taste side by side. I, you know, as a winemaker too, I, in general, I find that I'm either trying to balance out some of the natural character with winemaking practices or highlight it. So I did make these slightly differently. Um, you know, the White Hawk, for instance, got hotter and slightly shorter time on skins. Um, did rack this one a few times, and Biennacito was a cooler ferment, trying to retain some of that floral character and uh, no racking and 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 no racking were you racking the white hawk because it needed the air like you felt like it was kind of closing down and holding on too much uh the white hawk really open up yeah tends towards reduction so it's been kind of a wild animal since a wrestling match since the fermentation right um you know and it it ends up in this this beautiful form right now i know yeah but yeah i was pretty terrified of this one and and racked it because i thought it needed it and and it's so interesting because you know large wineries a lot of times they'll just say quarterly we're going to rack our barrels and um and we're going to do a splash rack or we're not going to do a splash rack and i i think sometimes i mean granted it's large wineries they have to do things to be get the work done and yeah, logistics and driven logistics yeah. driven um but the fact is is if they're giving each wine the same treatment you're sometimes missing out on stuff right i think so i or mean or if you're not giving it enough of a rack maybe you're just doing regular racks and not splashing them then you're then you're keeping a wine in a reduced state longer right. than it should yeah i mean i i appreciate craftsmanship and uh i try to pay close attention to yeah each lot yeah. and, and, and treat it as it needs to be treated. Yeah. And um, I think for our listeners, the reason why I bring it up is because y- when you hear the intention of it, I think it gives you a better idea what the winemaker was trying to do. Right. Right. Like it's easy to say, you know, oh, we just don't rack anything. Well, why don't you rack it? Because you're trying to retain aromatics or just because you're doing it to be, because you, why rack it? You know, like I don't rack it because not, I don't rack it because I don't rack it. Right. I know for me that's always a learning experience. Yeah, absolutely. Is um, Chris Hamill still the vineyard he manager is, yeah. at Biennacito? Mm-hmm. I remember. I, I I don't think I've ever met him, but he 
had this little project of making his own wines where he supposedly created like a miniature version of Chateau Neuf, like on one of the hillsides there. Yeah, I think that fruit is going to bedrock now. Oh, no way. Okay. Um, yeah, so it's, he... it's, it's this wild, super painfully steep site, yeah. and he yeah, planted yeah. it all, I think, to Syrah and Grenache on, on Eshla, so it's all stake trained. Yeah. Yeah, very it's cool wild. pictures. It's, it's very, um, it, you know, it's kind of a vineyard apart within within Viennesito. Yeah. It's very different from everything else. And it, and how did you get connected with this vineyard? Uh, also through through Morgan at Bedrock. Okay. Yeah, these, these are both 2020 Um yeah, and since since I've gotten a, a contract at Biennesito, so I have a little oh nice little block. Yeah. So I mean, in speaking with that, so what else? What's coming? Since we can't get any of these wines, <laughs> what's what's coming in the future, and when will there be another release? Yeah. So I think uh, well, so the twenty ones are bottled, uh, just aging and bottle, and I think I'll do that release a little bit earlier in the year uh, than I did this one. Uh, so pre-harvest is my plan. Um, and the next release is 21s, just these three wines. Um, there was actually a fourth wine. I made a blend of these two, a very small amount, but I only kept like five bottles. So that's why I didn't bring one today. Right. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I'm actually going to work on the 22 blends uh, tonight. And uh so and, and same thing just three the three just wines the three wines same same amount essentially yeah it's around 130 to 150 cases something yeah. like that and then this year i was able to make a little bit more wine uh so you know three years down the line i'll have a little bit more to share and i brought i brought on one one additional vineyard this year too uh also okay. in the more historical region of moon mountain district uh, Mouse Vineyard, M A U S. Mouse. Mouse. Uh, yeah. Um. Uh, Todd. Excuse Todd me. Ma- Moss. Moss. Excuse Todd me. Yeah. Moss. The vineyard, the Chewy Farms. Right. Yeah. 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 Super cool. Chewy yeah. Chewy's very nice too. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's a uh, super funky. It's like eleven foot rows of Zinfandel that a single row of Cabernet was interplanted in. Right. Right. Um, but really cool, really beautiful fruit. Super and so you're excited. getting the cab off of it. Getting the Cabernet. Yeah. 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 Splitting it with one other person. Um. And yeah, it makes a very different wine than than this, which is, which is again close as the. As well, because I remember right, that kind of sits in, it kind of sits in a saddle, right? You, does you you come up a Cundy, it sits up above Cundy, which only comes up maybe a couple hundred feet up, and then but then there's a big wide saddle before True Moon Mountain elevation sure. starts happening, right? Yeah, yeah, so kind of protected a little bit also it is yeah yeah it's a little protected reed you said you were going to do some blending tonight can you tell us a little bit about how you do your blending and your taste and who works on it yeah i mean it's just me um but actually i usually try to rope my wife in to tell me if i'm going too far down the rabbit hole and making a mistake (laughs) but um yeah i just i try to you know, taste the wines frequently and think about what they might need. Um, and then, um, play, you know, essentially the way I attack it is that things that work go together, obviously. And then, you know, it's that last 5% that, um, is really can, can really have a huge impact on a wine, um, which direction you take it. I'm I'm a big believer in kind of the, marginal gains and that you know every every detail matters so um so are you uh uh 
or are you a a 4.5%, 5%, 5.5%? I'm a half percenter. Yeah, you are. (laughs) (laughs) And also, like, found that I don't necessarily subscribe to the the whole barrel has to go in. I really get down into the weeds. uh, Oh, so a few gallons of this, we can do that. Yeah, yeah. Wait, where are you making the wines? At Bedrock. Bedrock. At Bedrock. Yeah. Okay, so then if you didn't use a whole barrel of something, it's not like you're dumping it down the drain. It's I have I mean, done that, but I'm bulking stuff out. Yeah, yeah if I need find to find a home yeah, for it, try to. Yeah. So you're making the making these wines at Bedrock. You're at Stony Hill during the day, and then you're at Bedrock. At are, are you touching Bedrock wines, or you're just no, 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 no. Okay, he did an internship no, no, no. at Bedrock. I did, a, I did my very yeah. first internship actually the day that I. The day that I found out I got into UC Davis, I uh, for graduate school, I had an internship with Bedrock. So very much as like a sliding doors day, and luckily made the right <laughs> choice. And I'm sitting here with you today. But uh, yeah. but no, I mean that the whole team there has you know they've been mentors to me and, and dear friends. And uh, yeah, Morgan has been kind enough to let me make my wines there. Yeah. Uh, still, I mean they they do that really well. They have kind of a kids' corner where yeah. all the all you the know there's a lot of talk about UC Davis and. I'd like to know. Who's what... talking, John? Right. <laughs> lot <Lush>. chatter. <laughs> There's, There's a lot of people talking. There's a lot of out shit there. talking going on. Yeah. Well, I'm wondering what the classes are like. I mean, is it like a college course where you're sitting with a lecturer, or is it, is it you know three on one and you're just having intense discussions and philosophy and science both? I mean, yeah, it's. It, I mean, it's graduate school, so it's rigorous. Uh, the classes that the graduate students have to take are the same as the undergrads with uh, additions. Um, and so there will be undergrads and grad students mixed in. The graduate students do it all in one year, whereas the undergrads do it in a few years. And then we have to take additional seminar courses, which are maybe what you're, what you're thinking, imagining, where it's a more one-on-one or, you know, smaller group, just reading papers. Um, what's really cool about, going to graduate school in the UC system is that you're able to take courses outside of your department. So I was able to take some, some soil science, uh, graduate microbiology courses that were, you know, more what I would think of as the traditional or what my kind of vision of what graduate school was before I started, which is, yeah, just like reading papers and talking about them with other. Well, yeah, you're there to learn a very specific skill set. Where did you, yeah, it's not like going to to Chico state. And what did you study at Chico? Uh, neuroscience. Okay. Okay. You don't seem like a Chico State like <laughs> biggest party. Well, school I didn't in even realize Chico State had a neuroscience. Well, yeah, exactly. uh, well, I don't. So my actual degree is in psychology, but I but okay. you can you can you know create your own program. So I took all the I worked in a neuroscience lab, and took, that must have been interesting. It was. It was quite interesting. I think that's why the brain comment came up earlier, uh, <laughs> being a sensation-seeking organ, because it's I think a, it's fascinating. Right. Hey, totally. it is fascinating. It's very much related too. Oh yeah. You know, sensation and perception are yeah. important. In yeah. And mind. and reward. Yeah. And reward. It's a big deal. Yeah. Huh. I love the fact that they're able to do live MRIs on people now and show them. Wait, what do you mean? As opposed to. No, dead, no, no! Like, oh, like showing your brain functioning as they're doing the MRI and able to watch it, as opposed to you being unconscious or or uh. just out and stable. They they actually look at it while they show people, especially in drug studies right now. Show a drug user cocaine. 
bing, the, the lights up. Show somebody uh, sugar and cookies and things, bing, the brain lights up. Yeah. And I'm assuming the same thing happens with wine because it's all the same reward centers. We're looking for dopamine. Yeah, my brain must be constantly lit up. <laughs> well, it'd be interesting Sugar, to see it. caffeine, all... <laughs> alcohol. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So do you get excited when I show you this glass of wine? Yeah, I do. Good. Are you kidding? Actually, no. <laughs> but his it meetings was... would be different if it was this bottle of wine. Then you'd see it explode, right. little fireworks going off in my brain. <laughs> but it's true. I love the, um, Rita, I love the finish on, on this Syrah. The, this one is a little more, um, what, what I guess you could say, elegant style. And then the finish, oh. it just lingers and it continues. Juicy, you yeah. just get these saliva yeah. dripping down through your gums with that flavor on it. It's amazing. Now, oh, what, what's the chemical analysis that creates what Brian is describing with the saliva? Just juicy. Um, so, yeah, so that's, I mean tannin you know long chains of tannin will precipitate prote salivary proteins uh, and drop them out of solution and make you salivate more see but people would say is a, is a compli you know there's there is a lot more going on than we can measure there's um, polysaccharides and things in solution and of course alcohol and solution that um, are also you know these things are all working in synergy to affect your perception of isn't that flavor. interesting though how he said tannin because i think most people would think he was going to say acidity right that what is making your mouth water you would common sense it would say acidity because it's like sucking on a lemon that then activates your saliva glands but then you went to yeah tartness also plays a plays a role yeah right the the organic acids um you know they essentially like lose protons to saliva and and yeah so your experience it, it's all working in synergy to yeah scientifically what's the difference between tannins and acids oh boy i got me <laughs> so tannins are phenolics they're all uh variations on a, a, a phenol uh, ring uh, structure um and there are so many that people don't know haven't begun to Understand. measure all of the different permutations essentially uh Organic acids, there's a more discrete group of them. It's tartaric acid, um, lactic acid, acetic acid, uh, succinic acid. Those are the sometimes malic acid. And, Is there citric I mean, acid in there too? Uh, not much. Okay. I mean, it, it's interesting because the way tannin and acid play with each other, and I think you find this when you do, if you try to manipulate the wines when they're being when they've already been made, otherwise doing acid additions to try and make the wine a little brighter, make it stand up a little bit more. Or if you're using, um, uh, if you're trying to lower the acid, you use um, uh, calcium carbonate. Mm -hmm. um, and the perception of the tannin on both of those, um, and tannin can have a lot to do with it um, oh, yeah. uh, in how the different acid additions or deacidifications right. affect the wine, um, and it, and it's something that you know you would rather not want to do. But the fact is, again, going back to large wineries where you need to make a consistent thing, and and you have all these things, you you need to balance things. So that's where you do that, and that's to answer your point, John. That's where you would get in touch with the difference between acid and tannin, is just from that experience of tasting them. 
Sure. I, I, at least for me. Absolutely. So, um, well, these are, this is great. Another thing that I think is interesting is that, you know, looking at the alcohols, I did not look at them until we've tasted them, obviously. And you wouldn't think they're as different as they are because mm-hmm. they both kind of taste like they're about the same. I mean, the White Hawk being a little juicier, a little, you know, um, a little more body. Yeah. I mean, a little bit that might be the alcohol, but it's not like I would have thought that the, um, I wouldn't have thought that the Biennacita was really lower, certainly not as much as it actually is. Yeah, I, interesting. So. I think it's time to start some sort of revolution where we stop talking about alcohol percentage Absolutely. in the initial conversation when we look at wines. A lot of people find that so much in the tasting room setting that people are looking at alcohol and they they have a preconceived notion about what the wine's going to taste like or if they're or more importantly whether they're going to like it or not yeah and it's so weird that that well somewhere along the media has the somewhere along the way people started looking for lower alcohol wines wine buyers were looking for lower alcohol wines i mean i can remember going out and there was a period 10 years ago where you go out and try to sell wine and people look at your thing and they go oh 15 nope don't need to taste that yeah but that was because that's what their customers were looking for yeah right the customers are coming saying i don't looking for that yeah i don't know i don't think the customers i think that is being driven by something else and i think the customers have gotten it in their heads but I think if you talk more about balance, wasn't that Jamie that started that whole pers- in it pursuit wasn't, of? He wasn't. He didn't start was he it. A but part he was, of it. He was a part of it. But but I the, liked that conversation. Yeah. In pursuit I mean, of balance but, was like, let's but, talk about balance. Right. Yeah. Wine. If uh, the alcohol number shouldn't be important if the wine is in balance, if the wine yeah. is when you stick your nose in, it, you go ooh, alcohol, then that's out of balance. Right. And and but that doesn't necessarily just mean because of the number you know i feel that it a lot of times has to do with the fermentation and the aging and how much you manipulate the wine and all those things yeah. like um because every time you manipulate or change it you gain something but you take something away and maybe yeah. what you're taking away is that thing that holds it together right bart what range are you talking about 12 5 to 15 only i mean what's the lowest well i mean that's john that's kind of where wine lives in this day and age i mean yes there's lower than 12 in the natural wine um setting but yeah i mean 12 and a half to 15 or um, let's bar you drink vino verde so let's dip down to what eight nine yeah something like that those are delicious yeah Yeah, totally yeah right and you know it's just weird and it usually that conversation in a tasting room setting is a lot of times comes up around Zinfandel for some reason that people want to talk about alcohol. And um, I don't know if that's because we did a bad job in the eighties and nineties with overripe fruit waiting for um, Zinfandel to all completely go through verasion or something. I don't, I I don't know where it all came from, but it's um, I think taste the wine first. And then, and then if, if you think it smells or tastes hot to you and you want to look at the alcohol and, have that conversation but i i when people are looking at alcohol percentages first it's it seems like a a uneducated point of view well again to go to reed's point of perception and you know once you're given that information then you're looking for it right or you're aware of it yeah you're cued and so you're cued and so um you know and i think part of the problem with zinfandel is that 
to John's point, I mean, overripe and then leaving sugar behind to hide the overripeness, you know, yeah. when it's 16.5% and 3% sugar, you know, yeah. that's a different sensation than 14 and balanced. Yeah. So, anyway. So, Reed, you got two Syrahs. You plan on making a Grenache here at some point? Yeah. <laughs> I do love Grenache. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Kind of have my hands full right now. <laughs> All right, <laughs> and then how? What stuff. was the decision making on on what varietals that you wanted to do for yourself? Yeah, I mean, so I just started with Cabernet. I, I love Cabernet, uh, and and also have experience working in Syrah vineyards, and I and I love Syrah. Um, I think, like I was saying earlier, my favorite, you know, the red varieties that I think are super noble are those that. Um, can balance herbaceousness and fruit characters and, 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 um, have this emergent property that defines the variety, uh, yeah. like Cabernet and, and Syrah do right. And with Syrah, um, we have pepperiness rotundone and with uh, Cabernet, we have pyrazines, which are the, the can be green, but also contribute to, uh, you know, if they're ripe pyrazines, they contribute to like the tobacco flavor or, yeah olive smell um so and and i just is, i love um, that bart you might know the answer to this that that trinity ridge syrah from lassiter that literally smells like bacon it's are they adding bacon in there no, what the hell is going on in there it's it's syrah and heavily toasted barrels or or is that or, what yeah. it is you that's think probably where you're I getting mean, it okay i mean syrah you know like Muvedra can have a meatiness, or can have a, uh, a a bake, you know. But a smoke, yeah, I've had like charcuterie, or almost like you're walking into a, a salumeria or a, or a or a butcher shop or something. But specifically that Syrah, every time I've tried it, I mean, it literally smells like you're. I mean, eating uh, bacon in the morning. I, I can say that I worked <laughs> the first year we got fruit. The first and only year I worked on the wine from Trinity Rib was. Um, Trinity Ridge. Trinity, Trinity Ridge. Trinity Ridge. Trinity Ridge. Um, <laughs> was Tony's first year. And okay. we did get some of the Syrah uh, pre-fire. And it did go into, you know, 100% new punching. Uh, um, so that's, I mean. And, I, and I'm not and saying I, there's I, anything I don't know wrong with it. Then. I actually right. really like it. Right. I mean, who doesn't like Me bacon? Too. Right. Um, I, I, but I was just wondering. I thought maybe there was something with the soils up there that made this unique flavor composition or something no, i think it's i think it's oak okay oak and toast interesting it's definitely a syrah thing yeah the meatiness <laughs> yeah. yeah you know yeah so i mean i think my attraction to syrah is that it's 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 wild and and unbridled and um you know i think of it like the it's like it's an ancient variety and i think of it like kind of like the pre-Olympiad gods in Greek mythology or something, right? It's just, it's <laughs> it's doing its own thing. So I, I have a deep love for Syrah. But it is still that varietal, right? That like people who are in wine or love wine, love Syrah. And then it's just, then there's like this drop off out I there in the, in the market of Syrah drinkers. I think people don't know what to expect, right? Like there's a lot of full throttle Syrah out there that, may or may not retain the varietal character that we're talking about um and then there's also people making like very very light very delicate syrahs i hope mine are somewhere in the middle and Um, and when they were when all of a sudden they were planted 
in California, Sonoma, Napa areas, Sonoma, quite frankly, because Napa, I mean, there's plantings, but there were large plantings of Syrah done here and throughout the state. Um, and, you know, a lot of those went into Syrah decline. So those acres are shrinking. Um, and it seems like, um, like many varieties, they realized where the marginal areas were for Syrah and they're being replanted to other things. And I think we're figuring out where Syrah is doing its yeah. best, mm -hmm. as yeah. opposed to just going, Syrah's going to be the next new thing. Let's plant, plant it there. Plant it. They did the same thing with a thing called Merlot. Let's, yeah. you know, plant it. To some extent, they did it with Pinot too, right? Like yeah. there's definitely places that, um, you know, yeah. Pinot doesn't belong, you know. Growing so. pains of a relatively young wine culture right. in America, right? Totally. It's a multi-generation yeah. process yeah. to yeah. figure out what belongs where. And when movies can, can when movies and advertising can <laughs> yeah. can can push it along. I mean, right. seriously. Yeah. You know. Well, sideways seriously impacted Merlot for the most basic stupid reasons ever. I well, mean, right, and Merlot was going to be the next hot wine five or seven years before that movie came out, right? I mean, so. Right, so dun, dun, dun. And what are we tasting now? So, well, what are, you got to finish yours, Syrah, before you get any of this. So how did you get hooked up with this fruit? So Corbin uh, is my friend from graduate school. Oh, we Grad cool. school together. And, um, yeah, I, uh, was was um, working as a research assistant and a TA to try to make ends meet and put myself through grad school and um, had a Ooh. tiny bit extra money and uh, decided I wanted to continue my education and make some make some Cabernet. So, um, yeah, that's so how did, this wine was born. You didn't meet from working at Bedrock before like i, th I think i remember Sonoma. him walking through the cellar one day when yeah. i was an intern but no we met at grad school yeah, yeah. At Davis. i mean, just wondering if the sonoma connection was yeah well then yeah. we put it all together and right like, oh yeah. we know a bunch yeah. of people in common yeah. and but just uh, bart is playing with this uh map of moon mountain yeah, cool um uh, i want to ask you about your label it's a map and it's it is. Cool. I was just telling Bart, I'm so used to my iPad. I want to put my fingers on there and expand <laughs> it so, yeah, so I can see where it is. <laughs> Tell us about that. Yeah, so these being place-based wines, uh, you know, it's a very literal take. Uh, I wanted to have a map of the area on there. So that's a 1870s topographic map of Sonoma Valley. Um, and I have the, the region zoomed in to, to show, the, show the vineyard. These are... These are soil maps from the early 1900s, the Syrah. Oh, so they're all different, ones, aren't they? There's oil okay. down there, so there's a bunch of good soil maps. So oh, yeah. You, this is, I mean, this is where Whitehawk is right here on this this uh, right. soil type. And then the sun and the moon on the back? Um, that's Anything just some special? iconography that, like, we liked when we were really originally... Uh, looking at ideas just idea generation for labels yeah. and i mean you know the the sun and the moon are how we measure time right. and and uh, you know tidings are supposed to be the the message from these vineyards for the year and yeah. um, the same same root actually tidings and time so. I love this wine. oh good <laughs> i'm so glad <laughs> i love this wine I was worried that I wasn't going to like it as much as I did last time. I'm like, no, it's fucking great. Oh, man, thank you. Yeah. 
Yeah, so do, does exciting. Corbin sell off fruit to a lot? Not of much. Community? No, I think there's just maybe two of us. Yeah. But was it Danny? Is he selling something to? Yeah, and I think. Um, and Danielle. Danielle. And yeah. actually, Danny's out. Yeah. I just oh, saw Danny okay. recently and said he's not. Faye? Uh, yeah, he's not up there anymore. He's because he has other stuff that has come into production and. Okay. Um, I, I you know. But that's what he had said. He Stuff was happens, not getting yeah. it. Yeah. Is she still with Tor? Kenwood? Yeah. Yeah. And um, then is is Corbin wow. Cameron, do they are they doing tastings currently? Have they rebuilt their house up there? The house has been rebuilt, yeah. Oh, okay. It's cool. beautiful. I haven't been up there since it was t- I tasted it on a trailer. Okay. Yeah, so the uh yeah, you should you should harass him and go up there. Okay, it's cool. gorgeous. Okay. Yeah. Now this has either a very tannic or very acidic feeling on my mouth both this is a very acidic wine okay uh those those soils for whatever reason produce a wine that has very low ph um and so when i'm making the wine you know my extractions are all very very gentle i do just a couple pump overs for kind of fermentation health uh yeast health and then let it sit on the skins for three weeks uh, mostly just super gentle punch downs because Ooh, the mountain tannin three weeks plays with that acidity and it, it would be easy to go too far i think in extracting this wine and it still has that juiciness though so pump overs early on get some air into the early fermentations yeah get a decent extraction without too much alcohol presence and then go to the punch downs just keep them covered real gentle just uh, wet the cap yeah yeah just part. exactly yeah um yeah i and think so like four weeks one, total on skins this one was 23 days okay. i think this this uh Bienicito was more like 25 and white hawk was 18 i believe um is that a lot it sounds like 23 days sounds like a lot but um so these are okay. they also have a cold soak going because i i don't use um commercial yeast these right. are all wild yeast so it takes so, a few right. days so, for them so to remember brian the fruit comes in cold anyway and yeah. you know you either make it cold keep it cold to get that extraction or just on its own warming up in the cellar which are usually i mean during harvest they can be warm but depending where you keep them you know the the, the fermentation won't kick off until it gets to a certain temperature yeah so if that takes three or four days just that alone's adds you know to the, the total count on skins yeah yeah. Right. So when you think about it like that, it's like it's not actually a very long time no. post alcoholic fermentation. Right. And um, it's not even and only doing, you know, really manipulating it early on, it's very, very hands off. Very hands off. And it's funny what people say about, you know, um punch overs and punch downs, you know. There are people that feel punch downs are more manipulated because you're, you know, pushing hard and you could be breaking berries or right. breaking stems and, right. and whatnot. Pumping over, you know, do you pump over with a fire hose with a pump turned up and you're actually hitting it and breaking the cap, or are you just sprinkling over the top? You know, I've seen that Those are new, totally I've different. Seen video of that and new vi- thing yeah. that looks like a, a, yeah, a it's sprinkler not a thing, system that you yeah, would have in yeah. your in your yard that's like right. pointed down on top of the I, i'd never seen one of those before but but the interesting thing about that is is one thought about that is is it's the juice is just going down in between the skins and it carves a path right and there's certain areas that don't get any effect of it so it's important also to you know break that up so you the juice flows through everything 
Well, and it seems like you're aerating too a little bit more than you would with just doing a normal pump over with like one hose going. Yeah, it, but it's, it's almost still, like those venturi things. Or right. Well, venturi yeah. is actually bringing the air into the juice before it gets sprinkled. Gotcha. But if you think about just the the sprinkler, I mean, that's fully CO2 um, rich air. Like there's no oxygen there. There's so okay. much CO2 yeah. coming out of the wine from the from the pump over. Huh. Yeah, it takes work to get yeah. oxygen in there. Yeah, yeah. Hence and the venture. What's what's barrel program like for well for all the wines, but specifically for this cab? So no new oak. There yeah. was uh, one once used uh, barrel on this at the beginning, and then I thought that it was too strong. So actually, I'm a big fan. Wait, of how did you figure that out? Just tasting. Like, just, yeah. just tasting. I was like, oh, I can really like see this barrel in the wine, and yeah. it was like a little bit. Uh, too much for me and so I took it off swapped it to some neutral large format barrels and then um, and actually like at the very end thought I could use a little more so swapped in another uh, once used barrel <laughs> of a, a different cooper and toast yeah so but yeah no new oak some once used oak which definitely still has oak character it's just not quite as strong yeah um, but how did how, so I'm totally curious how the making of this wine came about because most people let's say a lot of people when they think about cabernet think about new oak and yeah. think about maybe heavy extraction um so this is not that this is this is a beautiful cabernet that i would think i mean this is like sonoma cab at its best thank you um, wow yeah. but but like how did you get to that place was it the fruit telling you that's what you were going to make or it was some decisions where you're like no i don't want to cover up that fruit with a bunch of new oak or yeah i like i like wines that are transparent in that i mean uh not not obscured by by makeup by oak um and you know really i just have tried to make what i what i like to drink uh, yeah. Because but like, what was an example of of a wine that was like this, where you're like, oh, that would be cool to make a cab kind of like that, or was it? Yeah, I just kind of did it by feeling, you know. I, yeah. I, I, uh, I think I, you know, the mountain tannin and the acidity. I was, you know, cautious of, of going too far with that. Um, and yeah, I mean, this this whole venture was my, uh, you know, opportunity to to do what I felt and, you know, make what I believed in, kind of explore that. And so, uh, it's pretty. And you never use the word pretty and Cabernet. Right. It's like, yeah, I really like this like delicate yeah. extraction idea with all the wines. I kind of, so that. another wine that Brian, that you taste and you know pretty well is Cayman. So Cayman makes cab from moon mountain. Yeah. Completely different. Thank you. How so? I think they're not shy about use of new oak. Um, uh, and honestly, John, I don't drink a lot of Cayman Cab unless Robert is opening up a bottle for me, okay. which we don't. Normally we're drinking <laughs> Uncle French Bobby. or Spanish. Um, I can't afford to drink those. <laughs> they're like 150 200 bucks. I don't know how much those things cost. I can't. Yeah. What's your price point on all these wines? So the Cabernet is ninety dollars, and the yeah. Syrahs are sixty. Yeah. And how do they get a hold of you? 
And where do they buy? Well, you don't have any wines for sale. Do you have any library? Get on the mailing or? list now. Yeah, okay. mailing list. Well, yeah. Um, I, I have a handful of wines. I was able to bring some today. Okay. Uh, but literally like two cases of the straw, and I think I have three <laughs> yeah. or four yeah. of the cabs. So, so for our listeners out library. there, get on I, it. I think we told you to get on the mailing list the last time when he was here. Um, but you didn't do that, or maybe you did, and you got a little. Did so, yeah, yeah, and that's something. There you go. Um, uh, but get on the mailing list because the first round is tasting delicious, and I'm sure there's more coming. So, thank you. And you're available at Reed R E I D at uh, stonyhillfarms.com as well as. Yeah, you can also get in touch with me, uh, Reed at tidingswine.com. And just one more little thing about, I mean, about Stony Hill. So Stony Hill has a tasting room on property? We do. We have a gorgeous uh, new hospitality space. It's like spectacular. Cool. Anyone that's interested should definitely come up. And, and feel free to reach out to me if, if you'd like. And how does the cellar look at, um, at Stony Hill? So we're not using the old winery space, unfortunately. Okay. It's, a, it's a long, long conversation, but um, I'm sure. essentially the, the road is... Uh, making that impossible because okay. the road is too small and right. shared okay. with other other folks. And right. So, uh, yeah, so we're making the wine wines off-site right now. Okay, uh, okay, cool. Because the, the Lawrence, the family has other facilities. Yes. So it's, yeah. it's we have done a, at your own facility. Group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And could you mention those other wineries just for all? Yeah, so Heights, Cellars, uh, oh, nice. Burgess, yeah. Inkgrade, and Haynes. Lots of gorgeous wines yeah. being made by all of those incredibly talented folks. Yeah. So, And if you went up to Stony Hill, what's like on the tasting menu currently? That's a great question. Um, I think we have two different options. One's like more involved. Uh, it's current releases and then usually something from the library because we do have a awesome library of these Chardonnays that yeah. age very, very uh, well. Um, what's a t- Tell us one of your favorites that you've tried recently. Like, well, like oh, gosh. Um I I drank a, an 11 at the end of harvest that was magical um, and then we had a team dinner and I got to try the 97 out of Magnum Ooh, and nice. uh, it was I would not have guessed that it was a 97 yeah. if I had tasted it blind let's just say so yeah. beautiful yeah. beautiful wine well you know in storage and and putting wine down it, how long is the average difference here between a regular bottle 750 and a magnum i mean you can put a magnum down for a lot longer because it just takes longer is that i mean i mean supposedly because of surface contact and then i think sometimes people do magnums with a normal size cork and sometimes they do them with the larger corks so then it kind of offsets some of that i don't know if that that depends on the bottle you know typically yeah. it's usually usually 1.5s are are typically regular corks yeah yes. But then a three liter is always a much bigger cork. Yeah. Right. So, uh, I mean, slower. I'm going to refer to someone who went to UC Davis. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the, the, there's, you know, the same amount of oxygen ingress, but there's more wine. So it's it has a less, less impact yeah. over time. Yeah. Do you want like, oh, if it was a 2013 and if you opened it up in 2020, it would have had seven years aging. But in a Magnum, it would have had on the... Three and a half. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if anyone's actually like done those numbers or anything. But well, uh, the problem is a cork is a every cork is a little different. So, yep. Yeah. You know, it's all a little, it's all a little open to interpretation. Yeah. Old old wines. It's 
great bottles, not necessarily great wines, right? right. If you won the cork lottery, right. you're going to get a good wine. <laughs> and what? it is amazing. I mean, that's always – I always want to see what a cork looks like. And every once in a while you get one of those corks and you go, wow, now that's a cork. I'm going to hold on to that one. Yeah. You know? Well, <laughs> and since the science of cork has, has advanced so much, I'm wondering how the aging in the future is going to go. Yeah, I mean, cork is a natural product. Um, there are lots of uh, synthetic options uh, where people can really dial in the amount of oxygen ingress. Um, I personally prefer natural cork. I think it's I'm the same way. You know, yeah. it's part of the magic. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, and and I find I mean I open probably more of my bottles than anybody else, and a few and far between. I did have one recently. And it was very apparent. It was actually a great learning moment for the people that I was tasting with. But I was also glad that it was me well, that so, discovered it yeah. because they might have just looked at it and said, eh. This wine's weird. Tell right? us yeah. about yeah. that. Well, I, I mean, I think I just did. It was, we were tasting it and I smelt the wine and it was off. And I went and opened it and I had poured it for them and they no one really commented about it, but I said, oh, I think it's corked. Let me go grab another bottle. Mm-hmm. When I grabbed the other bottle, it was a completely different wine. Yeah. And so it was very obvious. So it was a good learning thing Absolutely. for them to understand. Yeah. Okay. You know, do, now, will the next time they get a corked bottle, will they identify that? No. I mean, they might. You know, I mean, that's one of those wine memories. You have to learn what that is. And I think it takes time. That's why wine education classes are so good. <laughs> There you go. So, Love it. Awesome. What What are your plans for the holiday? Uh, hang out with family. You know, her baby. How old's the baby? <laughs> One and a half. Wow. A little girl named River who's the light of our lives. So it's, you know, this Christmas is going to be a lot of fun for Take her. Take a lot of photos. Absolutely, yeah. And, and <laughs> so many photos. Print yeah. them. Don't that's a good, that's a, that's great advice because I have, my phone is replete yes. with photos, but very few on the walls. So oh, you got to get them on that. the fridge. Yeah. 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 Fridge, small <laughs> frames, shelves, walls, everything. Yeah. yeah. Also, say I like that. Make oh, fine thank dreams. You. Thank you. It's is, a, is that from something? Yeah, it's from uh, Tom Robbins. Have you ever read Tom Robbins? I, I, I haven't. No. He's great. If you're looking for something, uh, yeah. wonderful writer. But uh, it's a quote from one of his books, uh, and he tells his daughter as she's going to sleep, make fine dreams rather than sweet dreams, because the onus is then on the dreamer to create their reality. So it's a very much kind of part of the story here. You know, I, this is a second career for me and, and, uh, I never dreamed that I would be able to have my own wine brand. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Awesome. So yeah. It. Congratulations. The wine's tasting awesome. Yeah, Thank absolutely. So much, man. Thank you. Yeah. Seriously. Um, awesome. All right. Shout outs. Yes. Uh, well, yeah, we got to talk about oh, the yes, DTC conference that's coming up. Um, Bart, if you want to jump in. Yeah, we're going. You were there last year. I was. I was at Eco Farm with right? Jasmine. I think yep. you and Sam were there. So yep. you have a little more So um, the direct-to-consumer. I, I mean, I sat in on a couple of the seminars. Very interesting. The gentleman that we had on last time that um, worked for Free the Grapes, where he just talked about nothing but um, all of the wine – law wine laws that they were working on or had changed in the yeah. last year and i hope that we can have him on again he's Thank speaking God, man that's um 
Very, yeah. very interesting stuff. You know, and yeah. even down to like every state, like things that were positive in one state or negative in another state where we went yeah. backwards. And that was really good. So, um, uh, and then, yeah, it's definitely direct to consumer based. So this is definitely for, you know, not so much our consumers that listen to the show, but for other wineries that want to go and people. learn industry yeah. people. Um, it is uh, in Concord Hilton on January 17th and 18th, uh, the direct to consumer wine symposium, DTC wines, symposium.com forward slash program we will um add this to our uh, our website i mean our um social media so you can find this um we will be there uh interviewing some of the uh keynote speakers um a uh, friend of the pod james joiner is going to be doing a seminar on uh, social media uh, from what i understand huh. um so uh Two days of keynote workshops focusing on DTC best practices for wine marketing and analytics, state regulations, AI, and more. Fundraiser for Free the Grapes has grown. Oh, this fundraiser for Free the Grapes has grown the number of legal states for shipping from 17 states to 47 and has created a $4 billion sales ch channel for small you are for all U.S. wineries. That's awesome. So yeah, it um, is. early bird discount until December 14th. Okay, so that's important. So let people know how, if they want to go, how they get the early bird discount. Um, it's just a matter of registering before December 14th. Which today is? Uh, that will be. <laughs> I think that, I think our show will go out on the 14th. Today's the 11th. Perfect. So if you're listening to this show today, jump on. Yeah, get registered. Okay. And you... You guys had fun, right? You did like seven podcasts last year. Well, we did seven little mini mini podcasts. Yeah. Uh, MJ was out because Sam and MJ were speakers last year. Okay. Um, so we kind of um, grabbed some people. Um, so, yeah, look for more of that. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Like I say, uh, it's it's good stuff. But definitely, you know, I mean, not that our, um, our consumer listeners would probably find some of it fascinating. Um, definitely, you know, more in line for production. I yeah. mean, for... Well, then anyone that was um, that was invited up to Barbara Gorder's house last week, they did, uh, or what's today, Monday, last week, um, Dr. Sasha Burlman was there, and they, I think they invited a bunch of people who own vineyards in the area, and they were talking about... Um, control burns. Control burns. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it was a good, um, it was a well-attended event. Um, um, her, Barbara and the... The chef that did all the food came in here the next day. Uh, said things uh, went pretty well. So, um, yeah, it's it's nice that something that we did sort of then moves forward. Right. Um, it was nice to see. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, what else, Brian? Um, I don't Come on. know. I happy mean, holidays, buddy. Yeah. Happy holidays, <laughs> everyone. I mean, if you want any wine, we still have some wine. <laughs> You can. Um, awesome. <laughs> I think. I think t today this podcast comes out is the fourteenth. So then, um, yeah. that's pretty much like the cutoff date if you want to get wine. Maybe California. You could still um, get some. Maybe California, but we're yeah. Jasmine and Bella are right now. Oh, it sounds so you're furiously packing okay. um, wine that people have been ordering because they all want it by Christmas. Right. Um, we don't make champagne or sparkling wine or whatever, which I think probably. 
people that do want to get that stuff by New Year's Eve. But if, um, if you want some wines for Christmas gifts, then um, order them up today. And do all shippers just raise the price at the holidays? No. Pricing, shipping prices stay the same um, throughout the year. Shipping is expensive. We yeah, know that. That's, that's not on the wineries. <laughs> the wineries all just um, cover the cost of the shipping. Um, but no, shipping does not go up more ex- uh, higher prices during the holidays. It only does if you decide you need to have it overnight and you need it yeah. two a or three. And John, days. if you're a wine club member at sixteen six hundred, you don't have to worry about it. Phil sent me because oh, we awesome. just sent it to you for yeah, free, there baby. You go. That's perfect. <laughs> Beautiful. You know what? Um, that's a huge cost too. Oh, for sure. I mean, absolutely. we didn't talk about this, and I, I want to talk about this at, on some show. It doesn't have to be today, but um, about the California redemption glass so, thing that's yeah, going you know, on. That because, is be I, I mean, from show. small guys to big guys, you are at some point going to have to address this if you're bottling anything next after year. January 1st has to be labeled with the CRB um, wording or. Um, uh, insignias on the back and everything's yeah. been very ambiguous there's we haven't gotten any real right. solid answers on questions that we've had label Some... companies um have have like the, label printing companies have what it is that needs to be put on it legally and so if, you know i know in case of my label company i talked to them um and we've talked about how we're going to place it on the label and what it will look like yeah okay. tim gatto um, just updated mine yeah Oh, um, Tim's doing your labels. Tim did the labels. Yeah. Oh, yeah. cool. Um, and so, so that is something for a show. And then, you know, um, our friends at Conscious Container um, have some stuff going on. Karen yeah. and 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 they actually have a um, glass company now um, that is going to make uh, has bottles made that are, say returnable on them, printed on them. Um, they're made for um, reuse. Um, they can stand up to 25 washings. They're guaranteed. Um, so this goes along with that same, um, you know, the return um, CRV. Yeah. Uh, so that's something we should definitely touch based on the first of the year. But the price for this glass is very attractive. Um, so cool. I just got some information. I'll post it because um, it is an opportunity to, um, you know, change the way we deal with glass. I know that in my new tasting room, how's that for a segue? Ooh, hey. um, I'm going to make it a glass. It'll be a bottle return center also. Cool. Right. You know, for, for at least for my bottles. Um, so, and um, yeah, tasting room coming soon. Uh, probably Bart, not Bart till is... January 1st, um, just because we're waiting for our friends at the alcohol beverage control to um, finish licensing and whatnot. Uh, okay. But um, I've been hanging out there a little bit and kind of um, setting the place up. Um, I, I have to say I'm so excited to be able to like t- have people taste wine in this hundred plus year old redwood old growth wine yeah. tank. The wooded that makes up the tank is probably a thousand years old. So cool. It probably came from Sonoma Mountain or somewhere in the valley because it wasn't like they were cutting trees in Fort Bragg and you know bringing right. them down here probably. Right. Um, and on the inside, the majority of the tank is um, is covered in redwood paneling, but there is one section when you look up at it, and it's the old tank. And then of course oh, wow. the roof 
of the tank is just the tank top. Um, and so you, there's a story to be told in there. Very and, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah how- markings on the outside of the tanks, the valve, the old Hillsburg machine shop twist valve is there. Um, nice. The door. Um, it's amazing to think that I used to be able to crawl in those uh, those doors. I, that must have been a different part. <laughs> <laughs> they sure are very big. Reed, you wouldn't have a problem getting in that tank at all. Um, so what's me, the it's his- just my shoulders. Though. What's the history of that tank? Do you know? Uh, yeah, I'm still kind of learning all that. But So across the street from where the tasting room is on Arnold Drive is the old Jack London Village. Jack London Village was, um, of course, the mill was the first thing that was put in, the grist mill. And then um, later on, um, I think it was Chevet who opened the first winery. Reed, you probably know this. Your family's nearby there. Yeah. Chevet Chevet. opened the first winery. um, And then at some point, it turned to the Pagani family. Mm -hmm. um, And and not the Pagani family of Kenwood Winery, but the Pagani family of the vineyard on, on Highway 12. Um, and then at, for a long time, it was the Glen Ellen winery and distillery. Um, and so the tank was across the street, was part of that original winery. And then when the property was sold um, or the ownership was split up of the two properties, um, he, the gentleman who owned um, what was became the Jack London bookstore picked up one of the tanks well didn't pick it up they disassembled it because you can see where they numbered it on the outside when they put mm-hmm. it back together and sometime um, put it back up um, so that's what Super. it is yeah I was told that it was a f- they were that they were told that it was a fire hazard to leave those barrels across the street because they were made out of wood and so whoever it was that moved it across the street said well I'm taking one of those things yeah well I mean we all know that redwood probably burns pretty good you know yeah um, when you hear of house fires in their old houses that you know old houses were made out of redwood because there yeah. was so much redwood that's what you made it out of and yeah. um so yeah i'm sure yeah I'm we sure. can't wait i mean glenn ellen's gonna be a cool little oh absolutely um, now that now that bart's in town you got cindy you know it's everyone knows cooler. cindy for um Passagio. Yeah, the Passagio and yep. the sharemeisters and you have um, uh, talisman over there yeah, and Bettina and, with Laurel Glenn and Laurel Glenn and, um, I mean it's yeah a, and it's funny part. we've already been talking and and Eric Ross um, yeah you know, Eric Luce Eric's been God, doing it for like for 30 year. years yeah. and um, yeah. and Eric makes some really delicious wines I think you know and mayo around the corner yeah, um, yeah. around the Estern yeah so it should be really fun a little destination yep. spot for tasting yeah so. yeah and then have dinner at the Glen Ellen Star featuring the Dane Seller is Infidel. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How was that t- uh, tasting dinner? Uh, the, 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 success? The, the wine dinner, um, of course. It was a Glen Ellen star. Like the food, Brian was there. The food was yeah. exceptional. Um, for me, you know, it's funny. I talked to some people that did the tasting before, and they said, oh, we met all these new people and sold a bunch of wine. And I, everybody that was there was someone that I knew and is a friend. And um, it was very special. We had, we had yeah. a great time. Mike Benziger was there and, and Mike yeah. and Mary. And, nice. Um, yeah, it, it was great. Yeah, no, the wines were amazing, and the and Ari, you know, of course, did a great job with the food. And that my favorite dish was that gnocchetti yep. with the with the rabbit yep. sugo. That it's, it's now on can, the list. Oh, cool! After Makes after sense. that, they put I it mean, on the list. It was my it was the best thing I had that night. Yeah, um, and it made sense that they were going to open up a pasta. Besides place. the wine, of course. Because, well, of course, yeah. no, the, no, the food was amazing. Uh, 
right. Hey, thank you, Reed Griggs. Oh, thank uh, you. you know, owner and winemaker at Tidings and also over at Stony Hill Vineyard. Uh, thank you so much for visiting well, us this morning. We told people to get on the mailing list, but, but how yes, do how they, do they do get in touch? Uh, just go on, go to the website tidingswine.com, and there's a there's a sign up there. And next release will be earlier in the year next year. Yeah, I think probably With, some spring, summer, 24, something like that. In, cool. Increased production? Nope. Nope. Another herd? Yeah, the first three years are just about the same. So That's right. what you want to hear, the John. The fourth year will be a little bit more wine. Yep. All right, everybody. Let us know early. <laughs> well, thanks, Reed. <laughs> Remember, <laughs> you. make fine dreams, and we'll see you next week. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks, Reed.